Hey friends, welcome back to the Invited In Podcast with Christine Boyle, where disability and faith meet. I'm your host, Christine Boyle, and I'm so excited to be with you today, recording episode number two. Woohoo! So funny story today. Oh my goodness. Well, I guess it kind of happened yesterday, but I was getting ready to record episode two. And, you know, my goal is that I'm going to be putting my videos on YouTube, putting the audio as the podcast. And so I wake up yesterday morning and I was just pumped. I was like, okay, I'm going to do episode two today. And so, you know, I knew I wanted to wear my El Salvador hoodie because I'm going to be talking about my son, Kevin, today. And I knew that I wanted to look my best for the video. And so, you know, did my hair, did my makeup, put on my fake eyelashes, all that good stuff, right? Record the whole thing. And last night when I sat down to work on some editing, I realized I never plugged my microphone in. Do you remember me saying in episode one, there's going to be technology challenges because I just don't know anything about this? I really don't. So lesson learned, I always have to make sure that the right microphone is plugged in. So I did capture my audio and I did capture my video, but the audio isn't perfect because it used, you know, my computer microphone and not totally ideal. So What I'm going to do today then is just kind of re-record episode two, and I'm not going to have a video with it because I'll be honest, I just don't have the time today to go and, you know, make myself how I would want to look for a video. So it's just going to be audio for episode two. But then for episode three, I'll be back to doing video, putting that on YouTube. So bear with me. Again, like I said, I can totally predict it. There's going to be challenges. I just could kick myself that I didn't check that, but I didn't. And so here we are. So I'm starting over. Well, you know, so I want to talk about Kevin today, but let me just start for a second and say thank you all. Thank you so much for your love, your support, your encouragement. So many people were just cheering me on and so excited to hear that my podcast was live. So please follow and subscribe. That is why I'm doing this. This podcast is to serve you, to love you, to care for you, to create community, and to just be on this journey with you. But again, thank you for your love, your support, your encouragement. It's pretty scary to kind of put yourself out there on such a public, large platform and just getting feedback that this is meaningful or that someone is hooked on it or enjoyed it really means a lot to me. But I also would say that, you know, waking up yesterday morning, (laughs) today feels a little bit different because I'm having to redo this. But yesterday, Man, I woke up and I was just so excited to sit in front of this microphone, to come sit in my daughter Courtney's room, which is my studio, and just record. And I felt that way when I did the first episode too. And so I know sometimes in our lives we feel like we are just maxed out, that our capacity is 100% maxed out. And I feel that a lot of days too. Like some days I'm just like, I'm just trying to keep my head above water, right? But this has just felt very life-giving to me. And I know as I get the technology piece down more and more, I know it's going to even 
feel more and more life-giving because that's not going to feel so hard for me. But it just felt really good. It felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so thank you for that. Thank you for joining me. But again, today I want to just talk about Kevin. And I realized, though, that kind of where episode one left off, and I'm going to reference that a little, but if you didn't get to listen to that yet and you're jumping in on episode two, please take the time to go back and listen to episode one because it really just shares my why. It shares why I feel I have a voice in the world of disability. It shares how disability has been part of my life really for 40 years. It shares how for the last 23 years, you know, I started my journey with my daughter, Courtney. She passed away a year and a half ago and just how that has just impacted my life tremendously and has just given me a love and a passion for the disability community. And so it's just it's just good. I want all of this to kind of make sense. And so please, again, if you're jumping in on episode two, please take the time to go back and, and listen to episode one. You won't be disappointed, I promise. But one thing I do want to reiterate before I move on to Kevin is that my studio is my daughter Courtney's room. Uh, we had built our house four years ago, and the last two years of her life were were pretty hard. And so her room was cute and kind of done, but not fully done. And so when she passed away, we felt pretty compelled to kind of finish it. And we decided that if this is going to be like now a spare room, we wanted it to still be a happy Disney Courtney room. And so I have her little running shoes behind me hanging on the wall because she was a runner. My husband pushed her in Lots and lots of races. We'll talk about that in the future. Next to me is her bed, or not her bed, but a bed. And it has her running blanket on it that just has like 25 different running t-shirts, you know, sewed together to make this blanket. In front of me is a Disney Lego castle that my husband built for her the last seven weeks of her life while she was hospitalized. He would work on it every night. I think it's got like 3,000 pieces or 4,000 pieces, something insane. But regardless, again, my history is that she really introduced me to this world of disability in just a unique way and gave me a love and a passion for this community. And so it felt really appropriate that this is where I would sit. This would become my studio. And it makes me happy. Of course, there's sadness and grief tied into that as well. But it does make me really happy to sit in here and just remember my why, remember how this journey began for me. So anyways, since you're not going to get to see that on YouTube because I'm not doing video this episode, I just wanted to get to share that with you. And before I talk about Kevin, I was actually thinking I probably should talk to you a little bit about Dan and how Dan came into my life and Court's life and how that story began. And before I get into Dan, I probably need to get into the fact that so where is Courtney's biological father in all of this? And that's something I don't really talk a ton about. I don't know if I've ever publicly talked about it. I've probably alluded to, you know, different aspects of that story many times. But I will say that, you know, when I left that abortion clinic, finding out that day that I was six months pregnant, I did have to go home and contact him and tell him he was going to be a dad in a few months. So I never for a second want to minimize how hard that was for him too. And one of the hardest parts of it was that we were no longer boyfriend and girlfriend. So by the time that I learned I was pregnant and come to find out I'm six months pregnant, him and I are already broken up at that point. We were really good friends since I was in eighth grade. And for many years, we dated on and off, hung out with the same group of friends. And so when I was in that abortion clinic that day and found out I was six months pregnant and realized he's the father, I felt like it was going to be okay. 
because this was someone I trusted. This is someone I had a relationship with, you know, not boyfriend and girlfriend at the time, but had a, a relationship with, a strong friendship with, someone I trusted, someone I knew well. And so so it was very hard when I gave birth to her and he was there the day she was born. He came the day after she was born. And then I didn't hear from him for about 10 months. And my mentor, Betsy, at the time, who I talked about in episode one, she really encouraged me that God was protecting me. And she just said, don't reach out to him. God is protecting you. And I listened to what she said, and and it was hard. I mean, it was hard to not reach out to him and just say, like, what the heck? But I trusted her guidance. And I just trusted her. And so I did not make contact with him. And I do think a lot of him walking away very much had to do with the fact that she was disabled. I'm sure there's a component of that. You know, we weren't together and and things were just chaotic for him and chaotic for me. But I do think a big part of that was the fact that she was disabled. And it was a challenging 10 months, to say the least, because I was dealing with a lot of family dysfunction. I had moved out of my mom's house because I was asked to and moved in with my dad, who I shared in the first episode of Schizophrenic, and that didn't go great. And so I'm thinking, you know, during my pregnancy, I'm going to be having a healthy baby. And so I end up moving out into an apartment by myself. And then fast forward, I have her. She has disabilities and I can't work. And so so everything was just crazy. Everything was just broken. <laughs> but I knew Jesus, but I had met Christ, right? And here I am, though, now grieving family dysfunction, grieving that this person is abandoning me, abandoning my daughter. And I'm grieving that for both of us. And yet I also can't wrap my brain around like, Lord, what are you doing in this? And you probably remember me saying that I was really digging into God's word and studying about the sovereignty of God and learning that. And and so not only then was I applying this to my baby who was born with chronic medical needs and lifelong disabilities, but I'm also trying to figure out who God is in the midst of this abandonment. And I think I have the answers, right? So I'm praying for restoration and and relationship between him and I and, and thinking that's the only way this can work. And God was protecting me. Little did I know it. But God was protecting me from that relationship. At the same time, I would say I know that this guy was handpicked to be her dad. And, you know, fast forward many, many years, I have been able to look back and see God's hand and see his protection and see how he didn't answer my prayer and thank him for that. And I'm sure even if disability isn't a part of your story, Even if this situation isn't something you've ever dealt with, most likely not. I know we've all had times where we just stop and go, God, what are you doing when everything seems like it's just crumbling around us? God, who are you in this situation? And then I'm sure you've also had those times, like I just said, where you've prayed prayers and have asked God to do something because that's all you can think of is this is how this can be fixed. This is the solution, God. And God says no, whether it's in his timing or just something totally different, but he tells us no. And then years later, you're able to look back and go, wow, that's why you said no. And then you just marvel at him and you're just in awe of him and his goodness and his faithfulness and his kindness and his wisdom. And you do see how he protected you. 
And that's kind of my story where I know this man was handpicked to be Courtney's dad, to be her father. And yet I think a part of that was because he would walk away and his walking away would create space for Dan to come into her story, for Dan to enter in and become the father that she needed to love her unconditionally and for him and I to be able to give her something me and her biological father could never have given her. And so when I found out I was pregnant, met Betsy, she invited me to start coming to her church. And so I I started to do that. And I had been praying for Christian friends because I knew I needed to just step out of the friend kind of community I had currently. Part of that was because the biological father, we shared the same friend group. And part of that also was, you know, I don't want to be pulled back into those worldly things. And I knew my weaknesses. I knew my weaknesses. And so I knew I had to just kind of leave that life behind. And so it was kind of like, you know, cold turkey. I was like, I got to step away from that. And so there was a little bit of a season of just lonely time, too, where I'm walking away from my friends. I'm leaving all of that behind as I you know, begin this new relationship with Jesus. And so I'm praying for Christian friends. I go to this college and career class. I'm six months pregnant. I'm 18, single, and I felt really included. I felt really loved. And, you know, that was 20, over 23 years ago. And to this day, some of the people I met, I'm even one of my best friends, I met that first day. And here we are 23 years later, and her and her husband are are two of our best friends. And kind of the cool thing is that since this college and career group was just getting started, it was a lot of new Christians. And we were all kind of on the same journey of just looking for community, really longing and needing Christian community. And so we all just really spent a ton of time together. And Courtney, when I had her and after that, she just kind of became a part of that group because, you know, unless I could have my dad watch her here or there or my aunt would watch her once a week so I could go to Bible study. I mean, apart from that, she was with me all the time because of her needs. And so she also became a part of the college and career group. And so a lot of these friends that I was building relationships with, she just grew up around them. And they're still part of her story and were part of her story till she passed away. That was just a beautiful, beautiful time where God just surrounded us with an amazing church and this amazing kind of core group of friends that we just did life with and people who just loved her and loved me and just walked alongside us. And this was, of course, in addition to still having having that one-on-one mentorship from Betsy through Young Lives. And so I met Dan when Courtney was about three months old. So really, you're looking at a time frame of probably about six, seven months that I'm going to this church, meeting all these new people, but yet I haven't met Dan. And part of that was he was working night shift in a correctional facility and wasn't at church on Sundays. But I meet him when Court's three months old and, you know, just start hanging out with him just like everyone else. And we're friends for about 10 months before we go on our first date. And mutual friends of ours told me he's going to ask you on a date. And I couldn't for the life of me understand why. So women, you probably know when a guy that you're like, oh, he's cute. I kind of I like him is going to ask you on a date like you're usually excited, right? You're usually really excited for that. And for me, I just cried. I cried because I was like, why? Why does he want any part of our life? 
I didn't understand because he had watched our lives for those 10 months that we were friends. He had seen that we were in and out of the hospital. He knew we were living on welfare. He knew some of the, you know, family dysfunction, this relational dysfunction with the biological father. Oh, I mean, he knew it all. He knew it all. And yet he wanted to enter into our story. And right there, I mean, that alone just tells you, like, look at what the Holy Spirit does. Here's this guy who's 25 years old. Why would this appeal to him? Only God can do that. Only God. And so, you know, we go on our first date. We have a great time. And then about three months after that, we're getting engaged. And it was fast. It was fast because we just knew. He was everything I was looking for for court. He was everything I was looking for for me. And he wanted to be a part of our lives. He wanted this. He was choosing this. And we were terrified that we were going to get told no by our church, that it was too soon. But we passed our marriage counseling. And then six months later, we got married. And I would just say again, like this is where you just see God's hand. You see God starting to do more than you could ever ask or imagine. You start to see God just weaving together this beautiful story that we, that I could never write. Our journeys with God, they're so amazing, and yet they are so complicated. You know, even as I'm sitting here and I'm sharing this amazing story that God is writing in my life and in Courtney's life at that time, I'm watching it. I'm experiencing it. I'm joyful over it. But yet simultaneously, I have these deep-rooted feelings of rejection, of abandonment in my heart. I have bitterness. I have hate because this situation with her biological father was still so incredibly painful. And it really wasn't until court was about 15 years old that we ended up having an in-person child support hearing scheduled. It was almost 14 years since I had seen him last. Prior to that hearing, I reached out to a dear friend of mine and just asked her for some wisdom and for some guidance. And she really just encouraged me to extend grace. I had no idea if him and I were going to have a chance to talk that day at that hearing had no idea what God was going to do that day. But with my friend's wisdom and encouragement, I was able to go to that hearing and know that I was going to extend grace if given the opportunity to. Sure enough, he and I did end up talking that day. And when I saw him and when I talked with him, I quickly realized I had forgiven him. I know that forgiveness came before that day at the child support hearing, but it really wasn't until I was face to face to him that I realized the bitterness was gone, the hate was gone. And I was able to tell him that day that I forgave him. And I was also able to tell him that I know Courtney and I know if she could talk, she would say she forgave you too. Because I watched this man and I never want to forget this because I think back to, and again, you'll have to listen to episode one if you didn't. But I think back to all the crazy things like my family was telling me. I was baffled a lot during those first 10 months when I didn't hear anything from him. Like, where are the people in his life telling him to just do the right thing? Like, where where are the adults? I was 18. He was 17. Like, where are the adults? Where's the leadership? Where's the guidance? You know, and, and now that I'm even just verbalizing this on here, I need to like stop and remind myself like this is probably a lot of adults failing him too. You know, 
And so here, then fast forward many years, and and now we're both adults and we both have families and we're standing there having this conversation. And, and I just saw brokenness and it actually made me really sad. It made me sad for him because I knew he had missed out. It made me sad for him because I knew, like, if he doesn't know Jesus, like, man, this is a big weight to carry. And so to be able to just say, I forgive you. Again, only Jesus can heal those deep wounds that we carry and those burdens and those regrets. But I'm hoping saying those words to him that day did something. And I think it did. I think it did. And he told me he thinks about her every day. And that healed my heart a little. It healed my heart a little that she wasn't forgotten. It just was a really hard situation. And yet God used it for good. And he was very thankful to Dan and for what Dan and I have been able to give her and do for her. And, you know, with social media, like he knew, (laughs) he knew. He knew who she was, how she was, what her disabilities were. He knew all of that. He knew the things we did with her. And he was thankful. And so it's just kind of this moment of just, even if maybe he couldn't verbalize it the way I can, that it's God and it's God's hand and it's God's goodness. Um, I think we both knew just having that conversation like, as painful as this has been, it, it's kind of like how it's supposed to be. And God's doing something good. You know, that is, that is how Dan entered our story. There was a place for him. There was a void. There was a need. And he stepped in to the craziness of our lives. And he made the choice to love us and care for us, bring stability to our lives, to become a father to her. And it's funny how many times over the years I can honestly say, like, I've forgotten he's not her biological father. And people who would meet him in court that didn't know our backstory wouldn't even know that he wasn't her biological father. They had the sweetest, sweetest bond. And it was just something only God could do. And so into our marriage, um, I think it was about 2005, I started going on mission trips to El Salvador. So a young woman from our church had started a children's home called Love and Hope Children's Home. Dan was actually on the board of directors of that organization for about 10 years. Um, Google it. I don't know the website off the top of my head, but please Google it. This is a really, really, really important part of our story and a ministry we just um, believe in with all our hearts. But I start going on these mission trips to El Salvador to Love and Hope Children's Home. And the first time I went, I loved it, loved the country, loved the people and said, okay, I'm going to go back the next year. So I go back the next year in 2006, loved it. Same thing, you know, loved the kids, loved the children's home, loved the community, all of that the country, everything. So then I go back the next year. So it's 2007 and third trip there. And between my six, or sorry, between 2006 and getting there in 2007, um, this little boy, Kevin, had come to love and hope. And Kevin had disabilities. And he was the only one at the children's home with disabilities at the time. And so when I met him, my heart was obviously drawn to him because of our situation with Courtney. And at that time, 
you know, I, I came home from El Salvador and had said to Dan, like, hey, you know, we should sponsor him. And so we began financially sponsoring him, which meant we were really just, you know, sending money in monthly. It was designated for Kevin. And in his case, it was really to ensure he had one-on-one caregivers and if he was hospitalized and, you know, different things like that with his medical needs um, that he was well cared for. And he was three years old, I should say, and 14 pounds that first time I met him in 2007. And then I came back the next year and he was four years old and 14 pounds in 2008. And then I came back the next year and he was five years old and 14 pounds in 2009. And it was on this missions trip that I was reading a book by Johnny Erickson Tata um, called When God Weeps. And the subtitle is Why Our Sufferings Matter to the Almighty. And this is a book that I highly, highly, highly recommend because the first time I read it, I was kind of blown away by the way Johnny talks about suffering and who God is. And because I do think in the world of Christianity, I think a lot of times we are kind of programmed to just be going through really hard things, but be like, God's sovereign, God's good, everything's great. And and it's just not true. Like, I mean, it is true. <laughs> of course it's true. Those things are true. But just because we're Christians, like we still, you know, bleed like other people bleed. We still say ouch when we're hurt, right? Like we still grieve. We we still go through hard things. And and I think we're just kind of programmed that that's the right response is to just kind of be, everything's great. It's good. Or that person, they died. They went to heaven. It's good. And and when you're going through really hard things, and, and again, this can be disability, this could be chronic disease, you name it. I mean, it could be a terrible divorce. It could be schizophrenia. I mean, whatever it is, think of, think of it, right? You know, you've lost your job, whatever it is. I mean, you can't just say everything's great, God's sovereign, because suffering is going to make you and challenges and hardships are going to make you ask God hard questions. And we talked about that on episode one. It's going to make you wrestle with God. It's going to make you ask him why. And that's okay. That is okay. And so this book by Johnny really kind of tackled that. Like the whole basis of it is, who are you, God, in the midst of suffering? And so I'm reading this book because pretty much till I die, I know I'm going to need those reminders. I know I'm going to need to be reminded over and over and over again, God, who are you when life is hard? Who are you when my daughter dies? Who are you when we experience medical retaliation? Who are you when, you know, my family's falling apart or something? I mean, you name it, right? Who are you, God? And I know these are things I'm going to be wrestling with and asking this side of heaven and, and just needing reassurance, right, from the Lord. And so I'm reading this book really to minister to my heart about Courtney. And, and here I get to this section where Johnny just starts talking about us being the hands and feet of Christ and how when Jesus walked the earth, he bent over backwards to alleviate suffering. And she basically just goes the route of like, it can't be more clear in scripture what he did and what we are called to do. And so the Holy Spirit used these words in this book from Johnny. And I should say real quick, sorry, um, for those of you who may not know who Johnny Erickson Tata is, she has um, 
maybe the world's largest disability ministry. I, I can't say that with 100% certainty, but if it's not the largest, it's close to being one of the largest. But Johnny had a diving accident um, at, I believe she was 18, 17 or 18 years old, um, became a quadriplegic. And um, and really, that's what kind of she was raised like as a church kid. She was actually a young life kid, which is awesome. So her story, you know, is very much about young life, too, which is so cool. That is really where she kind of came into a relationship with Christ was working through the depression and everything that came with her onset of her disability. And so she is a hero of the faith. She is one of my heroes. I've had the opportunity to meet her. I've had opportunity to hear her speak in person. And yeah, she is definitely one of my heroes. You know, so again, I'm reading this book. She's basically saying, God, Jesus wants to alleviate suffering. We're his hands and his feet, and we should be doing that. And then she just says, like, could scripture be any more clear? And so she says, like, we're really good at asking God why when really we should be asking ourselves why. What are we doing to alleviate suffering? Because suffering has just become the norm. Things that are sinful and and wrong and hurt and destroy, these are things that have just become the norm in our culture, in our families, even in our churches at times. And so she's asking the tough question, like, what are you doing? Could God be any more clear that you are supposed to help alleviate that suffering? And so that just hit me like a ton of bricks. And so I started asking myself the question in El Salvador, as I'm there with Kevin, what would Jesus do for Kevin? Would Jesus see this 14-pound five-year-old and say, oh, that's so sad. I'm going to keep sending money, but I'm going to go back to Cleveland, Ohio. And I kind of got to the point where I was like, I don't think he would. I don't think he would. And it terrified me to even think of, well, what was I thinking of? Adoption. So it terrified me to even contemplate that. But I get home and I, you know, obviously I'm starting to tell Dan about all this. And I was like, maybe we're supposed to adopt him. But again, that terrified Dan. Dan had never even met Kevin, right? He only knew of Kevin and we were sending money to Kevin, but he didn't, he had never met Kevin. And so, you know, we start thinking, well, what about a medical visa? And, you know, we quickly learned really medical visas are for treatable, curable conditions where a kid's kind of coming, a hospital's like donating their services, fixing the issue, and then the kid goes back to their country, right? Um, I mean, I literally even had a conversation with the president of one of our children's hospitals here. And, you know, I mean, she explained it so perfectly, like a hospital can't just say like, yeah, we're going to donate endless care to someone who we have no idea what their diagnosis is. We have no idea if this is treatable, fixable, curable, any of that. And so we knew pretty quickly, like, okay, a medical visa is an option. So then it was like adoption. Again, that absolutely terrified us, absolutely terrified us. But we at least said, let's get a Bible study about adoption and let's really pray and just kind of seek God on this. And so we buy this Bible study on adoption and start doing it. And this Bible study asks us to make a list of pros and cons. It was very clear that like you, the husband and the wife have to be on the same page and that if you're not and you make this huge decision to adopt, 
it can destroy your family, it can destroy your marriage. And so since this would be an identified adoption, you know, we're making this list of pros and cons with with Kevin in mind, right? Specific to Kevin and specific to our situation. Our list of cons was about five times longer than our list of pros. I'm going to be really honest about that because Kevin terrified me. He terrified me. And anyone who's listening to this who met Kevin in El Salvador (laughs) and went on mission trips there probably would say the same thing. Like you would pick him up and you would feel like his legs were just going to fall off of him. It was that intense. And he was always pretty miserable, sick, throwing up, just whiny, didn't like to be held. And so it it was scary. You know, this this list of pros, I mean, it wasn't very long. I mean, we loved him and our hearts were drawn to him. And we cared about him so much, but I mean, there was so much more that scared us about him. And then our list of cons was everything. And I want you to just think of this and have Courtney in mind, the things that I've already shared about Court. And so at this point, she is, so this is 2007. So she's about seven years old at this point. You know, and I've told you we're in and out of the hospital, Court's nonverbal, nonmobile, total care, all of that. So some of the things we listed were, you know, Lord, how do you push two kids in wheelchairs? What do you do if you have to call 911 at two in the morning? Because we were so used to, if she was hospitalized, the three of us would go together. We'd live out of the hospital. Dan would leave, go to work, then come back to the hospital. Like we were kind of a team and stayed together, you know? So we're picturing like, well, you can't do that anymore. That's done. I mean, yeah. How do you physically push two wheelchairs? Like, Lord, we don't even have a room for him. We're living in a two-bedroom apartment. God, we don't have $40,000 to adopt him. We're Dave Ramsey people. We're working to get out of debt. We don't have that kind of money. And the list just kind of went on and on. But our biggest objection to God was, Lord, we're just content with court. We're content. We had made the decision a while earlier that We weren't going to try to have kids together. We were content with just Courtney. We were good. And so that was truly our biggest objection. Like, we don't want more kids. And our plates are really full. And and that really was the basis of a lot of our cons was just like, life is kind of hard already. (laughs) But also we're good and we're happy. And, you know, this is going to make things hard. And it was a really good list, you guys. It was a really good list. And here's what's scary about this list, though, is that I could give this list to pretty much anybody, and they probably would look at it and say, you're right. You're right. You guys have way too much. You're good. You're doing enough. But as this Bible study went on, it, it asked us to start looking up scriptures. It had us look up scriptures like James 127 that caring for orphans and widows in their distress is what God considers true and pure and faultless religion. Matthew 25, where it tells us, whatever you do to the least of these, you're doing for me. And scriptures about just hospitality and Isaiah 58, where it's spend yourselves on behalf of the poor and the oppressed and the needy. Spend yourselves. And the list just went on and on, right? There's so many scriptures that just tell us we're supposed to just give and give and give for others. We're supposed to die to ourselves. We're supposed to put to death the deeds of the flesh, right? And so finally, Dan got to a point and he said it so well, and I agreed with him. He said, none of these reasons are good enough to stand before Jesus and give someday. And after Dan said that, 
it was like, okay, we're going to pursue Kevin. And so our journey to adopt Kevin began. I just want to share that although we had made up our mind that we were going to do everything we could do to adopt Kevin, all those cons on that list of pros and cons that we had made was still very real. It was still hurdles we had to jump. It was still things that scared us to death. (laughs) It was still things we had to figure out. But we ended up raising close to $40,000 to bring Kevin here. And, you know, just a quick little adoption resource, if anyone is considering adoption that's listening to this, you know, raising that money ended up being one of the easiest parts of the adoption. I'll never forget when a friend of mine from church, her and her husband called me and Dan, and they called us and they said, we wanted to call you guys together because we want you to be so encouraged. And we want you to just know without a doubt that this is God's will, that this is what he has called you to do. And they were our first donation, but they told us we're going to give you $5,000. And you guys, I mean, there was a lot of little donations, but then there were a lot of big ones where people just said, man, we're just going to pour into this. And, you know, we did a fundraiser at Chick-fil-A that, you know, you don't make a ton of money off of a fundraiser at Chick-fil-A or any you know, food place. But I would say this, it was our first kind of public fundraiser we did. And it just gave us a platform more than anything. It gave people a place to come and a chance for us to tell our story, to tell our why. Why are we adopting Kevin? And, you know, it gave people the opportunity to say, yeah, okay, I'm going to buy a couple of chicken sandwiches and maybe 10% of that goes to adopting Kevin. But then those same people maybe ended up writing a $200 check later on. We also got grants from a couple big grant organizations, including Show Hope, which is Stephen Curtis Chapman's ministry. And, you know, again, there was one thing God just kind of took off the table, like, I'm going to provide for this. There truly are so many resources and so many ways to rally people around you to make the adoption process successful. This is just one of the reasons why I feel it is so important for me to share our adoption story, to get to share how we did it, what we found to be effective. And believe me when I say I do not take it lightly for even a second when I get to share a story and share what God has done. And that is because, for example, I shared my story about 10 years ago at a special needs moms conference. And a year later, I got a message on Facebook from this sweet, sweet woman who ended up telling me basically she heard me speak a year earlier and they were in the process of of adopting from India and they were doing it because my story impacted them that much and they knew they could do it when she heard my story. And so I really do not take it lightly at all to get to share the ups, the downs, the questions, the why gods, all of that when I share our adoption story because I know there's power in it. I know there's truth in it. And I know that when God allows us to walk through things, journey through things, persevere through things, that those stories are meant to be shared. And so that is my heart that our journey through adoption would inspire you, it would encourage you, it would challenge you, it would equip you. I wanted to do all those things to serve you 
and to serve others. So we made the decision we were going to pursue Kevin. We had zero idea how that was actually going to look. We knew we, you know, were raising the money, things were going well with that. But just a couple things about adopting Kevin. Number one, in El Salvador, most kids who are placed in children's homes are done willingly by the family. And so the family maintains guardianship of that child. And so Kevin wasn't even adoptable. So we actually had to ask his grandpa to allow us to adopt him. And so we wrote a letter, we sent a photo album to El Salvador to Love and Hope, and the lady who ran the children's home was able to translate it to grandpa and explain like we would love to bring him into our home and we had pictures of our home we had pictures of Courtney you know obviously trying to reassure him like we're we're equipped we can do this and we can take care of him and we would love to do that and so that was a big hurdle to cross identified adoptions are just frowned upon period because there's so much child trafficking and things like that that take place we even struggled to find an agency who would do an adoption from el salvador for the simple fact that el salvador adopts out less than 10 kids a year and so you know, agencies don't put a lot of resources into countries that adopt out so few kids, right? When there's countries that adopt out thousands of kids a year. And so there were all these little hurdles in addition to, you know, just making that big decision that we were going to pursue Kevin. So I would say this, you remember me sharing how when we had our list of cons, how our biggest objection to God was, Lord, we're just content. And even though we had stated and knew in the word of God, that it was God's will, his heart for us to adopt Kevin. It was still this constant battle against our flesh, this constant battle of just having to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to this call. It took us four years to get Kevin. We started the process when he was five. He came home when he was nine. It took four long years and we had so many challenges, so many. And, and this is where I also just want to stop and say, how often do you hear like, oh, like these doors just flew open, so it has to be God's will. Well, what's the implication of that? The implication of that is if these doors don't fly wide open, then it's not God's will, right? And I guess I just want to share with you that personally, and I think it's scripturally based too, we just didn't experience that. I mean, we ran into fraud issues with the agency we first started with. We ran into some integrity issues with a missions organization that was kind of managing some of our money. Like I said, it was it was like, oh, you need Kevin's birth certificate and Love and Hope would like drive two hours to go get his birth certificate and the city hall would be closed. <laughs> you know, so I mean, even silly things like that, right, where everything was just hard. And if I would have based something being God's will on how hard or easy it was, I would say I could have easily said, well, of course, this isn't God's will then. But again, I just don't think we see that in scripture. I think in scripture, we see the call to persevere. And when you know something aligns with the word of God, then you know it's his will. It's not based on our circumstances. It's not based on how easy or how hard something is. And and I'm thankful that I knew that. And probably some of knowing that and believing that 
truly came from the fact that we had journeyed through a lot of hard things with Courtney. And same thing, if I had based whether something was God's will or not God's will and whether it was easy or hard, none of my life made sense, right? I mean, truly, if you are a caregiver, if you have someone that you love in your life with a disability, I mean, things aren't always easy. You know, sometimes they're very rarely easy, right? And so that's just a little side note that I would just love to encourage you with is that that just can't be how we determine whether something is God's will or not God's will based on whether it's easy or hard. And so this process was just incredibly challenging. Like I said, it took us four years to get him home. And then when he came home, finally, he was 18 pounds at nine years old. Isn't that crazy to say? Like, I guess the way I always explain it to people so that they can actually kind of visualize what does 18 pounds at nine years old look like? He wore 12-month-old baby clothes. He wore size one baby diapers at nine years old. It was just crazy. But a couple of things I want to share with you about our journey with adoption before we brought Kevin home. So it took a lot of work. And again, I think this just goes back to we can't try to determine what is and what isn't God's will based on how easy or how hard it was. The Lord calls us to persevere in the things that we know to be truth, in the things that we know to be his will based on his word. And, you know, even when I finally got the call that, you know, we had a court date, even just orchestrating how to get Dan and I both to El Salvador with Courtney being home and not able to travel that far. There was so much orchestrating (laughs) to do and planning. We had both never simultaneously been out of the country. I mean, we both had been out of the country, but not simultaneously. And so just even the thought of both of us leaving and traveling to El Salvador was absolutely terrifying. But we figured it out, we made it work, and we left her with some amazing people. But Dan literally flew into El Salvador and was there for about 36 hours, and then he had to get home to court. So he basically went to court for the adoption hearing and then ended up coming home the next morning. And that night after we adopted Kevin and we were in our furnished apartment because I was going to be there for like four to six weeks. The night we were at that apartment and it was just me, Dan and Kev, Kev starts throwing up blood. And this is something Kev did all his years in El Salvador. And even honestly, up until probably a year ago here, he's been with us. It'll be 11 years in February. And so this has just been a recurring issue in his life that he gets these recurring GI bleeds. But you know, we're freaking out because this is our first night alone with him and he's throwing up blood. So we have to call our friend who runs the children's home. She comes to the apartment and she kind of helps us get him in a safe place. And that doesn't mean implementing this, this and this like I can do now here, you know, in the U.S. But I remember that night after we got him settled and everything under control. I remember just laying in bed with Dan and just sobbing and saying, what did we get ourselves into? And I share that with you guys because I just, I can't convey enough how hard adoption is. And and even put the adoption piece aside, if that's something that you're like, man, I just can't relate to that. God calls us to hard things, (laughs) period. As followers of Christ, he calls us to hard things. Some of the things I learned as we were preparing to come home from El Salvador and shortly after we got home 
And I think these are important because again, it's like we have to just see where God is so faithful, even in the hard things, even in the things that we're like, couldn't this just been easy? But as we were saying goodbye in El Salvador and Rachel, the lady who runs Love and Hope, was saying her goodbyes to Kevin and then she handed him to me. And I remember her saying, I don't have to worry anymore. And it wasn't, uh, oh my goodness, I'm so happy Kevin's leaving. No, it was Kev had been with them for six years and they gave him such amazing care. They fought for him. They advocated for him. They did their very best for him. And yet Rachel shares how she always lived with this fear of like, is he going to make it? And all of us did because you just couldn't for the life of you understand how is this little boy surviving? But when she handed him to me and said that, I don't have to worry anymore. It made me realize that our obedience to Christ, when we choose to say yes to him, again, you could put the adoption piece aside. This just comes down to saying yes to Jesus. When we say yes to him in obedience, our obedience extends far beyond us, right? And so here I am watching how us saying yes to Jesus just lifted a thousand pounds off of this woman's shoulders who was loving him, caring for him with such little resources. And then his family, his sweet, faithful grandpa, who never missed a visitor's day at Love and Hope Children's Home. Like I said earlier, he was the only kid at that children's home with disabilities. And they would once a month have a visitor's day. And this grandpa would never miss. And all he would do was just have Kevin the stroller and just walk him up and down the drive of Love and Hope. He would walk him up and down the drive of Love and Hope. And when we asked his grandpa if we could adopt Kevin, this man who I thought he's going to need convincing, he doesn't know us, right away he was like, yes. And I just watched this grandpa basically hand him over to us, strangers, just trusting that this little boy is going to be loved and cared for and have a family and be in the United States of America, right? And even with that came, he may never see Kevin again. I mean, that that is, I'm sure, something that even crossed his mind. Like, I could be saying goodbye forever. But yet that is how much he loved Kevin. That is how much he was willing to sacrifice for Kevin. And then I think of his family that I'm in contact with just through social media and have met. And he has family in Boston that... I had the privilege of getting to meet and spending time with. And can I just tell you, they are so thankful. And not that we need to be told thank you and, oh my gosh, you guys are doing an amazing job with Kevin. No, it's it's not even that. But to just see and hear the peace that this family has knowing he is loved and he is cared for and he is safe. You guys, this extends so far beyond us, so far beyond the four walls of our house. Like so many people were impacted by Kevin's adoption. And it's those parts of it. When I see who Kevin has turned out to be, when I see the things he is able to do, because like in El Salvador, for example, you know, nine years old, he comes home. He had never gone to school 
I mean, I look at Court's life and I think Courtney was in school since she was 18 months old. You know, she was up in, in walkers and had a good wheelchair and, you know, did therapies and, and had this community of special needs friends and all these resources. And to see like this kid has never even had the opportunity to go to school. But to be able, like we were talking about in that book by John Erickson Tata, to be able to say, no, I'm going to do something to alleviate the suffering of this little boy. Because disability isn't suffering, right? Disability is not necessarily suffering. But Kevin was suffering. Kevin needed help. And to get to do what Jesus would do to bring a little bit of heaven to earth, right? We pray that in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, I just can't put into words how humbling and amazing it is to get to say like we were part and are part of God's restoration plan for Kevin. I want you to just stop for a second and just think in your life, what is something that is maybe hard that you have said no to or that you want to say no to or that you're like, Lord, I got this list of pros and cons (laughs) like we did. Or where you just say, Lord, my life's content. I can't serve in that capacity or I can't give to that degree. What I want to just reassure you is that God promises, Jesus promises that he does his best work when we are weak. When he gets to just come in and save the day, (laughs) right? When he gets to be the hero of the story and do things that only he can do. Because here's the thing. My story is, this adoption story is, if it was left up to me and to my flesh, I would have said no. I would have said no, Lord, it's too hard. And Dan would have said the same thing. But yet it was the Holy Spirit, the word of God that showed us, no, this is God's will. And so there doesn't need to be any praise for Dan and Christine. The praise goes to God who is kind enough to say, no, I'm going to invite you in. I'm going to show you my will. And I'm going to invite you into this beautiful story, this journey. It's going to be hard. (laughs) It's going to be crazy hard. But I'm going to do a miracle and you're going to have a front row seat watching this miracle play out. And you're going to be blessed. That's the amazing thing, right? You are going to be blessed. I was just reading yesterday, Luke 14, the great banquet, right? Invite the crippled, the lame, the poor, because when you do, you will be blessed. There is no denying, you guys, that When we serve, when we give beyond our capacity, when it becomes the supernatural gifting from God that we are willing to lay down our lives, or maybe we're not, we were not willing. (laughs) And I love how John Erickson Tata says this in that book that I mentioned. Like sometimes God just drags us to the cross, right? We're digging our heels in the ground and we're saying, no, no, no. But in his grace and his mercy and his kindness, he drags us to places we would never go on our own. Oh, how that's been the story of my life so many times. But the word of God promises that when we spend ourselves, when we offer hospitality, we will be blessed. And in Isaiah 58, it also says when you spend yourselves on behalf of the poor and the oppressed, 
then your light will break forth and shine, right? And I think of that and I think the stories I've been able to tell, the people I've been able to share a Kevin story with and just get to put Jesus on display of how good he is, how faithful he is, and truly just how his spirit lives inside of us and changes us and makes us do things that in our flesh, in our humanness, we would never do because we want life to be easy. We don't want it to be hard. We don't want it to have pain. We don't want it to be uncomfortable. And yet Jesus calls us to those very things by his spirit. And so I think of just how our family has been able to just be a walking, living testimony to just the faithfulness of God. And I want to share something as I wrap up. You know, Kevin, like I said, when he was in El Salvador, he hated being touched. (laughs) He hated it. He hated it. Unless he fell asleep in my arms, um, he really just, he was just so uncomfortable. And that was really, really, really hard for me because I'm a touchy, kissy mom that loves to just, yeah, kiss my kids and all of that. And yet that changed so quickly, like I said, when he came home and he just became this snuggly little, little guy. And almost every night I hold him on the couch and I snuggle him and he loves it. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking through my Facebook memories because I look through those every day now that Courtney's gone. <laughs> Take a lot of pictures, you guys. <laughs> Take a lot of pictures. Um, and there was this beautiful picture of him and Court sitting in front of the TV and they're holding hands and the pictures from behind them, right? So you just see them both sitting in their little wheelchairs and they're holding hands. Now, Court couldn't like, she didn't have good fine motor skills, so she couldn't reach and grab Kev's hand. So Kev had grabbed her hand. And I showed this picture to Dan and we both just started weeping because a couple things. <laughs> she loved <laughs> loved being his big sister and I love that we got to teach her and show her that although our lives were hard and unpredictable and especially those last two years of her life juggling both of them and in the height of COVID being hospitalized I mean oh you name it it was so hard but I loved that we just got to show her how we're just supposed to lay our lives down for the kingdom of God for others And I also loved this picture of him reaching for her and just how he was invited into this family and given a mom and a dad and a sister. And I also loved just how it just showed the transforming work of Christ. Like here's this kid who hated affection, hated touch. And now when I describe Kevin, I'm like, this kid, like like he literally rubs his own armpits and rubs his own chest and... (laughs) when he's trying to go to sleep. Like he loves touch, but truly he loves being held. He loves snuggling. He loves holding hands. And this picture just showed me like the transforming work of Christ. And it also showed me like, oh, I can't tell you how many times since she passed away, going from 100 miles an hour every single day for 21 years with her care, her needs, When she passed away, it was like going from 100 miles an hour to like 30. 
And so many times I've just said, like, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have Kevin. And it's just, he's been like my stability. He's been this amazing gift. Um, I mean, he's always been a gift, but like this, this comfort that like God knew we needed too, you know, and um, just getting to still care for him and serve him and and just still having our foot in the world of disability and caretaking and, you know, relationships that didn't end because Courtney passed away. You know, I can't imagine the magnitude of the loss we would have felt if we didn't have Kevin. And um, so, friend, I just, I share all this because I want you to know who I am and where I'm coming from and this journey that God has put me on and put my family on. But I just hope you hear this and I hope in some way in your life this speaks to you. Maybe there's something God's been tugging on your heart to do or to say yes to. And maybe maybe our story gives you a little bit of courage to say yes. Or maybe it just prompts you to open up the word of God and read what Jesus said, what Jesus did. And my hope is founded in the fact that Christ did his best work in brokenness, <laughs> in people who were rejected, people who were overlooked, people who were ignored. I mean, my hope, my comfort in being the mom of two kids with chronic medical needs, lifelong disabilities, is like God promises to show up, period. He promises to do amazing things in their lives, in them, for them, through them. And I've watched it. I've watched it. I've watched it in Courtney's life. I've watched it in Kevin's life. And again, I am so thankful. No matter how hard it is, I am so thankful that this is the journey God has put me on. I am so thankful that this is what he handpicked for my life. And I look at this sweet boy that in my flesh I would have said no to. And I look at every gift he has brought into this family, the things he has taught me, the way he has changed me, all these different things, the joy he brings, the fun, the affection. I mean, he just keeps us on our toes. <laughs> he's, he's wild. He's crazy. All these things. And I look at him and I think I could have missed it. And so my friend, I just want to encourage you, don't miss it. Because the world could have looked at my list of cons and could have said, you're right, you have too much, don't do it. But just because something is hard doesn't mean you aren't right in the middle of God's will. Called to do great and mighty things that testify to his faithfulness and his goodness and his sovereignty. We get to be his hands and his feet in this world. And the world is watching. <laughs> I will say that too. If there's one thing I've really learned, the world is watching. They're looking for hope. They're looking for truth. And as you just love and give and serve, I promise you the world is watching and they're seeing Christ. They may not even realize that it's Christ they're seeing, but they see something different. I can promise you that. So again, we get this beautiful invitation from Jesus to follow him, to go to places we would never go on our own. But by his Holy Spirit, he takes us there and we get to join him in this great mission of bringing heaven 
to earth, right? His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm so thankful you joined me today. I'm so thankful that I got to share this story with you. And I know the Lord uses it. It's not my story. I mean, it is my story, but you know what I mean? It's God's story. It's a story only he can write. And so I boast in that. I boast in the fact that he is just that good. So thank you for listening today. And um, you've been prayed for. You've been thought of. This podcast, again, is to serve you, to love you, to encourage you, to equip you. You are invited into this beautiful journey where disability and faith meet, and we get to experience Christ. Thanks, guys. Take care. Follow and subscribe to the Invited In podcast and visit www.christineboyle.com.